Hi there, and welcome to today's Homeschool Teen, a podcast for homeschooling parents who want to help their teens meet the challenges of high school and reach their incredible God-given potential. I'm your host, Eris Lawless, and on behalf of our team at Dual Credit at Home, thank you for joining me today. Now today, we're honored to have Connie Albers, author of Parenting Beyond the Rules, joining us. Connie and I are going to be talking about teens, rules, screen time, plus we'll even talk about moms who are done homeschooling. What's next for them? So, Connie, thank you so much for taking time to join us on our podcast today. I am looking forward to chatting. Oh, I'm just happy to be with you guys. This is going to be awesome. Thank you. Well, let's get started by hearing a little bit more of your homeschool story. I've had a chance to hear bits and pieces, but I would love for our listeners to get to know the Albers family a little bit more. Yes. Well, the Albers family began their journey with their mother being asked, aka me, being asked if I would consider homeschooling when my firstborn was about to go to kindergarten. And I said, no. And my husband then came back to me and said, would you prayerfully consider it? Well, of course, when you prayerfully consider something, that means you're (laughs) opening your mind and your heart up to the Lord, changing your mind and your plans. And so I said, sure, I, I will do it for one year. And it worked. And then the next year, the sister, his sister was to be starting. And I says, well, if he goes away now, then he won't get to be with his sister. So let's do them together one more year. And then I got pregnant. And then it was, well, it's working. If I send him away now, they won't get have time with their little brother. And the story just kind of kept going like that because I have five children and five children in seven years. So you can understand that I was pregnant or nursing for a lot of consecutive years. Wow. That's incredible. And then it kind of went to, you know, listen, I'm going to put him in middle school because I don't know if I could even do Mm -hmm. middle school to no, I'm going to do middle school because that's when the mysterious, murky, marvelous hormonal middle years (laughs) again, I'll do middle school. Then it was, they're definitely going to high school. (laughs) And then I'm like, well, we've made it through middle school. Now they're like little human beings and we can have great conversations. I'll continue on. And so our journey did last from kindergarten through 12th grade with all five of the children. And it was a journey of 21 years. So we had an amazing time of highs and lows, but always two steps forward, sometimes one step back, but never totally fall apart. And there were days I wanted to throw in the towel, but we just kept persevering. Mm -hmm. How old are your kids now? Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) So truthfully, I see I have a 32, 31, 28, 26, 25 year old. That's incredible. Incredible. They all are out of therapy now and they're doing, (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm kidding for you listeners out there. I'm just joking. Now they had a unique college experience as well. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, we desired, we had three desires for our family that our children would grow up and love the Lord. I mean, not just go to church, but they would love the Lord, that they would love to do life with their family and that they would have a heart for their community. And so when it came to be college time, my first son had some high ambitions of being an NBA basketball player. And we, so he was pursuing that passion. So I took out a spreadsheet and I just basically said, all right, now if you go pursue this endeavor, 
this is what it will cost you. And if you go here, which was a local university, we live in Orlando. So we went to the university, the university of central Florida is local. I said, if you go here, then college, you know, you'll have a lot of academic scholarships. Uh, he was a national merit commended uh, student. And I said, just look at the numbers. So he made the decision to stay at home and go to the University of Central Florida because he's very good with math and he saw how much money he could save. Yeah. The next year it was, well, now it's a sister. Where do you want to go? And because we started planting the seeds early, mm -hmm. they all decided to attend the same university and have a story that they all tell on their own of a shared college experience, but they all lived at home. And That's they incredible. absolutely loved it. So all the kids went to college with zero college prepay, no student loans, and zero debt. Wow. That is so, almost unheard of. In many podcasts. We'll have to come yes, back. Exactly. But what you're referring to is the University of Central Florida had not had a sibling group of five homeschoolers not only go through the college, but graduate. So they did a piece on our family called The Family of Night. Love that. Well, congratulations. And I would love to talk more about their college experience. That's pretty incredible. But you just released a new book called Parenting Beyond the Rules. I love the title. What was the catalyst behind this? What made you want to get this part of your story down on paper? I was wrapping up our homeschooling experiences. I had two years left and I was like, God, what am I going to do next? What, what's the next assignment? What's the next project? And I was standing in the parking lot with my daughter who was, was like 24 at the time. And she said, mom, you know, you've done all these things BC before children and you're doing all these things now The children are all, you know, relatively grown. And she said, she made this really big circle in the middle of these two smaller circles. And she said, mom, this is your life's greatest work. Mm. Look at your family. Look at what you and daddy built. This is what you need to do. And at that moment, I just was crying. I thought, this is what Proverbs 31 looks like. I had no idea. I'd never seen it before. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know, your children rise up and actually say you did something right. You know, they only do that when they want the keys of the car. You know, <laughs> exactly. To, to go shopping. <laughs> yeah. So I just stood there crying and I thought, you know, Lord, what is the next thing? And he said, I want you to write. And I thought, well, that came out of nowhere. Some people are aspiring writers. I wasn't. I was a, as a communicator. I, I speak and I run organizations. So that kind of came out of left field, but it was a journey that it took. He whispered that in my ear in 2012. And if you do the math, you'll notice that this was a very long process for us because the book just launched. But Jeannie was the catalyst for this whole book. I knew parenting teenagers is the hardest season of parenting for various reasons and mostly because the consequences to their decisions have lifelong ramifications and my husband and I had been working with teens for about 20 years 25 years and I kept listening to what these kids were saying and I know we're going to talk about this later but I just tucked all those comments away and when the opportunity came to write a book to get a literary agent to get a publisher my heart was to help other families keep the heart of their teen and build relationships. I want them to celebrate the teen years, not dread them. So true. And I think a lot of the families that we've talked to you, it's when they get to those homeschooling high school years, it's so scary and it doesn't yeah. necessarily have to be, but I think you've tapped on such a big part of it and it's having the heart 
yeah. of your teen in advance. Now, what do you think most teens wish they could tell their parents when it comes to rules and boundaries? I remember when I was a kid, there were those <laughs> things I really, really wished I could tell my parents, but just couldn't. <laughs> you know, I'm going to flip it on you here. So why couldn't you? I'm just curious what your response would be. Yeah, that's a good question. I think one of the things that happened for me was I was concerned about the relationship. Was yeah. I concerned about getting in trouble? I was concerned yeah. about how do I how do I communicate that? And I'm more of a written communicator. And I would I remember as a kid I would leave notes. You know, if I had done something wrong, <laughs> I'd leave a note about it instead of <laughs> instead of action. Or if I wanted something desperately, or you know, I would I would just leave notes, those hints, because <laughs> I, you know I felt like I couldn't necessarily have that face to face conversation all the time. You know, I'm just going to tell you, I did so many surveys and. There were two things that I learned in this process. And one is your kids do want to tell you, just like you said, they want mm-hmm. to tell you they have this incredible desire to please their parents. Most, yes. most of them do, not all, but most of them do. If they know that they are loved and that, that there's that healthy relationship there, the kids want to please the parents. And there's this fear that grips them that mm-hmm. if I do X, they're going to withhold love. I'm going to disappoint them, or I'm going to be grounded for the rest of the year. Right. And those are all, those are all real factors in teens not talking to their parents. Mm -hmm. And so you tapped on two of them. And the other one was just that they, you know, there, there is this fear of not being conditionally loved, which comes from the parents. And I actually write about that in the book. There are hindrances that cause us to withhold love. And some of those are from the mom and dad's perspective. We have expectations. And I talk about managing those expectations. So true because you know expectations are such a huge thing. You know I'm well well past my teens in my 30s and I still struggle with expectations and kids feel that so much. Yeah, Yeah. I mean we we still try even we're you know wherever we are in our journey we're always you know still trying to win the hearts and approval of our parents Mm -hmm. even if we're adult I adult you know parents of adult children, like in my case, I still wanted my mom's approval. Not that I needed it the same way I did as a child, but I wanted her to be proud of what I was doing. I wanted her to be proud of, you know, the person I had become. Right. That's just that. I I think we can get out of balance with that, obviously, but Mm -hmm. that's just a normal thing. And our kids want the same thing. And, you know, it's kind of why we try to be good parents and we want them to trust us so that they do open up. So it's kind of this beautiful picture. And, you know, they learn to trust us by sharing information with us. And when they share that information with us, if we are not overreactive and we don't negatively react mm-hmm. and we are, we are quick to hear the why behind whatever it is that just happened. Right then they learn to trust us. When they trust us, they learn to open up more. And it's just this beautiful, beautiful, it's Mm -hmm. not a circle where you're spinning. It's just this beautiful dance of learning and growing and building that, that trust that is so needful in the relationship. It is. And you hit on something I'd love to talk about when you talked about the balance, the need for a balance. I feel like our society has such a pendulum swing that they're doing between, you know, I want my kid to be my best friend and I, I don't want them to see me as a parent. And then you have the parent where they're not necessarily concerned about winning their kids' love, but they just want their kids to obey, you know, the love versus fear. They would rather, yeah. you know, it was better to be feared than loved. So what advice would you give to parents for those ways to find that healthy, healthy balance between 
rule setting and relationship building. Yes, which is why the whole book became Parenting Beyond the Rules. You know, it's really easy for parents to have limits and boundaries and rules. I mean, we need those. And and children need that. You know, God's word says that if children are left to themselves, they bring forth destruction. Mm -hmm. And we have to be mindful of that. But when we talk in the context of setting the rules of limits and boundaries, we're actually setting those based on, you know, our family. You know, this is what our curfew is. This is when we eat breakfast. This is when we want the the house to be cleaned, or we're going to do yard work, or we need to do, you know, X, Y, Z. For the most part, we are establishing those. And what I tell parents is, as your child starts to grow, when they're very young, like elementary age, it is completely parent, you know, kind of navigate it. Parents make the decisions and the children kind of follow along because right. they don't have the thinking processing to be able to go further than just doing what mom and dad say. As they start to mature, though, they start to push back on those. And as I tell parents, and I write about this in the book, we have to, as our child starts to grow and change, we have to adjust. Yes. And I'm giving parents permission. You mentioned this, Aris, that you know, gone are the days where it's my rules, my way, or the highway, or oh, whatever you want to do, whenever you mm-hmm. want to do it. Neither of those work. One, the authoritative parent, because that we've just been shown that that just causes anger and frustration and, and a lot of rebellion because mm-hmm. we don't parent every child the exact same way. The permissive parent, on the other hand, who's just like, oh, you know what? He'll figure it out. Well, <laughs> that worked back in the days when, you know, we didn't have the internet and we weren't worried about cyberbullying and right. internet chat rooms and our kids being let us, you know, kidnapped. And I mean, there was a different time frame when those two parenting styles were in the forefront. Now, however, you know, we, we have, our kids have so much before them and, and that's kind of why I write about it in my work with social media. I started engaging in social media back when it first came out from a, wow, this could really impact businesses. And then, oh my goodness, this is impacting my kids. And I started to become a student back when Facebook, you had to have a student account to get a Facebook account. I'm like, I don't think so. They don't understand homeschoolers. And by the end of the day, I had a Facebook account and my son was like, how did you do that? I'm like, (laughs) I'm your mom. (laughs) But you know, the changes in our culture, Mm -hmm. the dangers that are facing our children are monumental. They're not just falling off the, you know, falling off of a bike or breaking an arm while they're skateboarding. It's, there's some serious things that can happen to them. So that has caused parents to move into the helicopter, the hovering, and even the lawnmower and a new one that I didn't even get to write about because it's that new. It's the sweeping parent. The sweeping parent. I've not heard that one. Yes. It's brand new. So you heard it first. (laughs) Yes, I heard it here first. Tell us what is a sweeping parent? You know, in the Winter Olympics, you have the, the massive metal, like smooth ball. It's not a ball. Curling. Yeah. Curling. Curling. They call it, I thought they called it sweeping, but curling, sweeping. And you have everybody out there just kind of moving and sweeping any possible mm-hmm. ice that could cause mm-hmm. that disc to go off course and not go as far as it could possibly go. And now lawnmower parenting is going to the next level. And that's where you've got everybody, you know, the grandparents, both sets of parents, everybody and their brother is trying to make sure a little Johnny goes as far as they absolutely can without having any glips, glitch, you know, bumps or, or pitfalls along the road, along the way. But that's why I write about it. And, and my whole goal in bringing that up 
is not to criticize one over the other, but it's to explain to the parent what is going on and that it's okay to change and pivot. Yes. So there, there are some children we have to be very firm with, you know, mm -hmm. but then there's other children that they're, they're the do writers. They're the ones that are compliant. They want to please their parents. They want to get good grades. They want to get up at six in the morning and have their hour long devotion before you call them for breakfast, but they've already done the chores. There are those children too, but not every child is that child, nor is every child a child that you have to drag out of bed or set four alarms to get them out of bed. And I want parents to have a sense of know your child. And that's mm -hmm. the whole purpose is know the child that you're parenting and then parent according to that child's need. So true, because I think for the parent that's either just setting out or realizing they've hit the teen years and they, you know, they're losing their kids in more ways than one, there's that tendency to want to go online and find a list of somebody else's rules and make them their own. Or, you know, we go to yeah. Hobby Lobby and buy the really cute plaque that has the list of house rules. <laughs> but what, what do you suggest to them as they get started working with their child? What are the things they need to keep in mind as they're creating those new family sets of rules and especially related to social media? How does that play in? You mentioned social media. That's such a big thing right now. Yeah. and having good boundaries, where do parents start? It starts by knowing your child. I mentioned that in our last question, but it comes by way of knowing your child in a sense of some children are more prone to experience anxiety and stress and FOMO than mm -hmm. other children. And that so is... True. Can you define FOMO for any of the moms that Oh, might yeah, yeah. FOMO, fear one. of missing out. I mean, to be honest, you and, I can, you and I can experience that. That's oh, yes. I will sit and scroll through Facebook and, you know, we'll get <laughs> That's to That's one reason why I don't have a personal <laughs> Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, when we, like, you know, we're having five children all my children were very different. I had some children who were a little more insecure and they were constantly trying to see if they were measuring up to the standard that they saw online. I had others who could care less. I mean, they just, they would just scroll through Facebook to see whatever funny stories or memes they could find or whatever, you know, things that they were doing. But specifically regarding social media and the rules that we place around them, one, it starts with knowing that child's weak strengths and weaknesses. Are they predisposed to being able to just be kind of like a engager, cause promoter. They, they're really passionate about, here's an example, the pug society. They just love those cute little pug dogs. <laughs> and so they're always looking and, and looking up and researching on pug society and all these cute little pug pictures. And I tell parents, it, help your child find something that they're interested in from a cause perspective. Like as my daughters got older, they were both mm. very much passionate about ending human trafficking. I mean, it was just a, oh, they were so compelled to end and create awareness to what was going on with young women and young men, but it was, you know, they were focused on the young women right. that I started helping them use social media as a tool to promote a positive social message, create awareness about a cause they could actually make a difference in. And you're learning how to use social media, not from a consumption standpoint where they're not measuring up or they're comparing themselves to one another, but where they're using their time to engage and create awareness about a cause. When you start to do that, you're teaching them 
to use it as the resource it's designed to be. It's a tool. It's a resource. It can also be a very dangerous tool if not used properly and put into the wrong hands at the wrong time is what parents need to be aware of. So I say pay attention to that child, know what it is, help them learn what the tool is used for and how they can use it and then monitor it closely. My kids were only given so much time a day for screen time and they had to pick what that screen time was going to be. smart. And that was it. And they could only use, I know this sounds trivial, but it worked for our family. Each child got a certain amount of a coin that represented a certain amount of minutes. And they were able to use those coins with me when those hours were open, meaning when schoolwork was done, because when you're homeschooling, some kids dawdle around and some kids get done rather quickly. But when they were able to show, okay, I've done what is required of me. Now I have this extra time. Am I able to use my time doing this research or finding out what's going on over here? So I know the coin thing can be rudimentary and and some parents may come up with something else, but it worked for our family and it allowed them to equate time to usage and they didn't just have free reign. I think it's very important that they learn how to manage their time because as you and I know, we can get on social media and look up and it's an hour later. Oh, so yes. I want them to be very much aware of it. But creating a positive social footprint is key during the teen years. Mm-hmm. If, if parents wait until the child is, say, 18, and then they get the smart device and they have the entire world in the palm of their hand, and everything is just a click away, danger, uh, destruction, good things as well. But, you know, we want to be super mindful of the danger that awaits them from, let's just say, bad actors in the, in the online world space. If parents wait because they're trying to protect them, what ends up happening is the child turns 17, 18 years old, ends up with a smart device, and they don't have the, they haven't been practicing how to use it as a tool wisdom effectively. There. And that's where I tell parents, I'm not, I'm not saying give your eight-year-old or 10-year-old a smart device and start all of this. I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying teaching them while they're under your roof and they're teachable is so critical to them having success in using technology because technology is neutral, but using the internet wisely. So true. Now you've hit on this a couple of times as we've talked about technology and social media, and you've worked with this professionally as well. And so you've not just homeschooled, you've had a professional career as well. Tell us a little bit about your professional career, how that's played out in your homeschool and how parents can know what season to be in as they try to juggle both. Yeah, that's a great one. I, I love speaking on this because I am a mother of five and every mom that knows you know, that is homeschooling knows that your day can be consumed with ratios and chemistry equations and Mm -hmm. just write the five point paragraph. That's all I need you to do. (laughs) And it can envelop your day. But there is also this desire within many women to use the gifts, strengths and talents that they have to bring in a little extra income or to even further promote a cause that they're passionate about. So that's kind of what I did. I was very involved in helping to shape and form the homeschooling movement using my marketing and PR background and helping making sure legislation was actually in place that was favorable to homeschoolers. So I wanted my kids to understand the political process. So Mm -hmm. as I would dive in, they would learn about it. I wanted them to understand how different 
running an organization, what is the mechanics of running an organization? So I would run an organization and they would be part of that. With social media in particular, I wanted my kids to know how to use it wisely. Colleges, actually over 50% of colleges look at a student's social footprint before deciding to admit them to college because they want kids that are going to make them look good. And that led to, you know, early on when I started seeing the rise of Twitter and then Facebook and I mean, even before that with MySpace and stuff, Right. I wanted to help businesses reach their audience. And I wanted homeschooling to continue to educate the community at large and to connect homeschoolers globally. And I would teach different organizations how to actually effectively use social media, how to communicate with your people, how to grow your audiences. And my kids, in fact, actually learned to do that, meaning two of my children have online businesses and they now use social media to grow their, one has a photography business, one has a videography business. So, I mean, they're not scrolling That's incredible. They're learning how to get clients. Mm -hmm. The other one uses it. She actually worked with me in social media marketing and that actually helped her land a job as a marketing director right out of school. That's great. So when we're thinking about we're homeschooling, what I love to tell mothers is think about what you can do using your gifts, strengths, and talents or your brain power, whatever you want to call it, that would add value to your homeschoolers that are, you know, your kids in the process, not just the the making money part of it, but what is it that you could actually jump into, whether it's volunteering or for pay that your kids could actually be a part of and they see you doing it and you can actually bring them into it and they get a taste of potential opportunities they could get as well. So the other thing I have to say, Eris, is you mentioned something and that was know your season. Mm -hmm. When people look at my resume, they think, oh my goodness, how did you do this with five kids? Part of why I shared the story of the kids going on to college, it was because my primary goal was to have to give them the best education I could, the funnest homeschooling experience that we were able to provide and grow and, you know, kind of like keep myself going in the process. So knowing your season starts with when I had babies, I needed to take some time off because babies take a lot of extra energy to kind of acclimate them into the, assimilate them into the family. Yeah. Some of your children are in a hard place. Maybe you've got some middle schoolers that are really uh, struggling right now. I always picked a project that I could do where I knew I could push really hard on the gas pedal and then I could pull up if need be. And there were seasons of that. And I tell parents, especially moms, that I think God has given me the resume he's given me to be a living proof that God does not have second place. He does not have second best for you. That when you say yes to your family, when you keep your your family and your children the priority, and you say yes to the things that, that complement the family, and then you say not now to the other things, that there's power in you being able to say, no, not now, not, oh, I wish. Right. I don't wish that, just say yeah. not now. And here I am, you know, I've gone through the trenches and now God has said, I want you to write a book. And now you're pushing <laughs> the book out and you're going to do all these other really fun things that I really couldn't have done if I was to stay true to the first job that I was given. And that was to teach and train my children. And it's neat to see how all the experiences you had as you fulfilled that first job 
have led you to be successful now down the road. Now, when you think about parents that are at that season where their kids have graduated from high school, they've moved out, or they're still at home as your kids were during college, what do you say to the parents that are looking to re-enter the job market after, say, maybe 15, 18 years away? Oh, that's a great question. Yes. And that's where I see a lot of homeschool mothers devalue what they've actually done. They just exactly. I'm just a homeschooling mother. I'm like, yeah, it's just a job (laughs) that a lot of people get paid for except you. (laughs) No kidding. And so I, I literally walk women through the process of mindset. It's, it's a mindset. What did you do in your homeschooling journey that is a paid skill in the marketplace? What volunteer opportunities did you take? Perhaps you were administrative assistant or IT person or website developer, or you did graphics for your co-op or your homeschool group. Perhaps you helped run conventions. Perhaps you did social media for your groups. Perhaps you did marketing like you guys do marketing. Perhaps whatever you tutored English to other students because your child needed help, or maybe you brought a bunch of kids into your house and you did science labs or taught science to five or six kids because you wanted your kids to have that shared experience of doing a class with others. I have, I want moms just to kind of go through thinking about all the things that they've done, write them down. Like I had people who helped me in my book writing process that were stay at home moms They're still in the trenches of homeschooling. They aren't necessarily working full-time outside of the home, but they want to keep their skills sharp. So I would ask them to help edit or help think of ideas or brainstorm or things like that. And then I would tell them that is a paid skill in the marketplace. And this is the value that what you pay in the marketplace, like editing. People think editing isn't much. Well, editors can range anywhere between 25 an hour and 150 an hour, depending on what your unique editing skill sets are, or even writing. If you write a guest blog post, then guess what? You're a writer. (laughs) That's right. And writers may not make a lot of money, but they, they certainly have knowledge of communication. So I try to help them learn that everything they're doing in the, in the confines of the home, whether it's cooking, budgeting, managing that budget, you know, because we know homeschoolers have to squeak a whole, like a nickel. They've got a squeak. They've got a squeak. What is that phrase? Squeeze they get a, the nickel till the, the till dime or something like that. Something no, they, like get that. A dime, they get a dime yeah. out of a nickel. You know, you we go. know homeschoolers know how to manage money and they are fantastic at finding deals. That is a very big marketable skill. It we is. We know that homeschoolers are fabulous at multitasking. I mean, I had five kids, five kids in homeschooling and they all, they weren't going away to classes. They were like home. We did do some online and occasionally we do a few things, but primarily we were doing most of the bulk of the education at home, plus cooking, plus sports, plus music, plus like every other thing we have to do laundry and take care of the dog and the goldfish and the hamsters. But I have them look at even the, uh, the ability to multitask Guess what that's called in the workplace? That's called project management. That's right. That's a marketable skill. I highly sought after marketable skill. Highly sought after. I love watching mothers that go from thinking they just have to get a job at McDonald's. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but 
you know, after 21 years of homeschooling, I didn't want to, you know, just go get a job at McDonald's. I thought, surely I, I could do, you know, something different. Mm-hmm. I love watching their eyes light up when they start to realize I didn't waste away. My skills didn't go, go dull. I actually learned new skills, I learned planning skills. I learned this other stuff and watching them then step into the marketplace. So when they create their resume, they, they don't have to say what they made. They just have to say what skills they've been doing in the last right. years. That's right. And they've got lots of years of experience. Right. <laughs> so true. Well, Connie, this has been so great to visit with you. Before I let you go, can you tell us a little bit more about the other online resources and books that you've written and where our listeners can find more information? Well, you can visit me at ConnieAlbers.com. That is my main, that's my blog, my website. I'm also on Facebook at ConnieAlbers.author. And for the purpose of our podcast, I have a Facebook group, Parenting Beyond the Rules. It's a closed group. I just want to be able to help moms walk through elements of the book and parenting teenagers. And then you can find me on Instagram, Pinterest, all those platforms at ConnieAlbers and ConnieAlbers.author. So Yeah, that's kind of where you can find me. I speak all over the country. I'd love to speak to any groups, retreats, women's organizations, or homeschool groups, church groups, that type of stuff. So that's where I am. Well, I know we'll be looking forward to talking to you more in the future. And I hope that our listeners take advantage of that too. So thank you so much, Connie. This has been a great, great half hour visiting with you. Thanks. I've enjoyed it. All the best to y'all. Thank you. For those of you listening in to today's episode between Connie and I, be sure to check out this episode's show notes. You can find those at our website, dualcreditathome.com forward slash podcast. Inside the show notes, you'll also find a link to Connie's book, Parenting Beyond the Rules. Also, don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss the next episode of today's homeschool team. Thanks again for joining us. And we're praying that God blesses you and your family as you homeschool high school.